Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 146th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. The Wolf. And I will be joined, as usual, by my partner in crime from the East Coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And we appreciate everybody tuning in last week to our interview with Jim McCarty, the, the legendary Yardbirds drummer who is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, talking about his new single, Breath of the Wind, and sharing some fun anecdotes about his days with the Yardbirds in the 60s. We really appreciate him. Such a gentleman. And his single, Breath of the Wind, is out September 15th. So be sure everybody go out and have a listen to that. Download it. Buy it. Good man. Great song. And it was a great show. We really appreciate having him on. This week, we return to our album review roots. You know, we like to do albums having big anniversaries. And so this week, we tackle one we probably wouldn't have done a few years back. Because if you look over our list of shows, you can see it's very hard rock, heavy metal focused. But we've also got a pretty nice chunk of prog rock, progressive rock, bands that we might have known when we were young in the 80s, but they were different from when they were big in the 70s. Talking about bands like Yes and Genesis. Of course, we've had Steve Hackett on the show. And in the last decade, I personally have gotten more into the 70s Peter Gabriel and Steve Hackett era Genesis songs. And all of Prague, really. Of course, Pink Floyd was huge for us growing up. Maybe a little different in the 80s when we saw them in TV than they were in the 70s. But as fans, we eventually made those connections and now we appreciate the prog foundations that they laid in the 70s, which then allowed them to maybe shift gears a little bit, be more pop in the 80s. Well, in 1983, Genesis released their self-titled album, Genesis, which was the follow-up to Abacab. But at the same time, Phil Collins, who joined the band in the early 70s as the drummer, and now is the singer after the departure of Peter Gabriel, is having a huge solo career of his own. His Face Value album in 1980 does very well, and Hello, I Must Be Going, which preceded this Genesis 1983 album, also did incredibly well. Now, after 1983, and the Genesis album sold very well, 4 million in the U.S., more than 8 million worldwide, the biggest success was still yet to come. Built on the success of this album and Phil's previous solo albums, he then did No Jacket Required, an enormous selling record, 25 million worldwide and then genesis would do invisible touch which would be about their biggest selling album of all time 15 to 20 million maybe worldwide over the years that's a huge run they're on and so this is an interesting album in that it's kind of where jackson and i came in the song that's all was big on mtv and the radio when we were kids and it's kind of our first understanding of who genesis really were and then by the time they got to invisible touch we were aware obviously we're aware who phil collins was because he would be everywhere during this time. And that's both a positive and a negative for the band. But we're going to get into all that here as we talk about the Genesis 1983 album. First, we've got just a little bit of business to take care of. As usual, we like to remind you that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a network of about 100 different shows, all musical related. Not everything's hard rock, not everything's rock and roll. There really is something in there for everybody. So I encourage you to go check it out at PantheonPodcast.com or follow them on socials at Pantheon Pods. But we have to recommend, guys, that you go visit our sponsor, RareVinyl.com. They're based in the UK. They got a quarter of a million records and other great music 
memorabilia items in stock. They ship all over the world. They've got a five-star rating from Trustpilot, and they're good folks. I visited their warehouse. I've met all of their people. They do an amazing job procuring and taking care of these records, archiving them, and then getting them to you in great shape. So you go there, find something that you love, and then you can use code UGLY, U-G-L-Y, to save 10% off your orders. And that's a one-time code. So don't just go buy one $8 easy-to-find single. Go find a lot of special things. Save yourself some good money. It's rarevital.com. Use that code UGLY. Now back to Genesis. Yeah, I admit I wasn't a hard rocker when I was 10 when this album came out in October of 1983. I was learning about music. I was watching MTV, and this would come on. And I think that's part of why Phil became such a big star, because suddenly singers and pop stars, they weren't just musical performers. They had to be actors as well. And Phil had that. He went to drama school, uh, and he was obviously a bit of a ham. He's also a pretty self-effacing guy. It would seem on the surface, you know, he's not afraid to play a role in a three or four minute music video. And I think that just helped him skyrocket. And then the music interview said, Ooh, this guy works. Let's put him in everything. Some of that has led to a lot of Phil backlash, but I got to tell you, the guy worked very hard during this time and he got a lot of success out of it. And this album has some good stuff on it. Some of the singles I didn't love, some of it's a little adult contemporary, but with Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea, they still have some prog in them. And you're familiar with almost every song on the album because it was a single or they played it on the radio. So we decided, as it turns 40, we're going to dive into Genesis' self-titled 1983 record right here on The Wolf. Well, I guess it's time to talk about Genesis. All right. Which we've done before. Mm-hmm. But we've always talked about Prague superstar Genesis with Peter Gabriel and Steve Hackett. We have never talked about big MTV pop superstar Genesis before. Mm-hmm. And this one, I don't know. I, I mean, I think we were both keen to do it. But I think you suggested this one way back when, when we knew it was going to be turning 40 this year. Yeah. Why why was why did you say, hey, let's go ahead and, and take a hard look at this one? It for I think for a couple of different reasons. This this was one of the first videos I remember seeing in heavy rotation on MTV, that that's all video. Mm-hmm. And then in thinking about how if you came into this band when we did, you would never know that they had started off as something very different. The same way, you know, 90125 came out the same year. For yes, and that right. was the same deal. You thought, oh yeah, these guys are a, they're a pop band from from England. No, right. no, they're not at all. They are now, but they weren't before. But yeah, I mean this this album was all over the place, and then to me, it just kind of bled into No Jacket Required in '85. And so, I mean, for a run of about a good ten years, Phil Collins was all over MTV. Like you could not get rid of him, and. You know, then that went into movie roles and TV roles. And so, yeah, yeah this this album was, I won't say it's one of my favorites, but right. it's definitely, you definitely can't escape the legacy of this thing. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And uh, you're right about That's All. I mean, uh, I remember hearing That's All on the radio, and I think I even recorded on, like, I get a cassette. And not even like a nice Maxell cassette. I'm talking like a 69 cent, like got it at Target and a pack of like six cassettes. But then, you know, if you had a stereo, you know, that had a, 
an amp and, and had a radio, uh, or, you know, the FM radio, then you could record random songs off the radio if you timed it right, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I remember specifically recording this one, didn't really know Genesis, didn't obviously know who they were before the 80s or before 78. When they did, and then there were three album with the first Follow You, Follow Me, when they kind of started to make that hard transition from being the prog band with the 20-minute songs to being more of a four-minute pop band. Mm. Obviously, yeah, had no idea. When I saw Shock the Monkey, you know, on MTV, I didn't think, oh, well, here's Peter Gabriel, uh, you know, who used to be a Genesis. No idea. Just He's just some guy named Peter Gabriel. I had no clue <laughs> about any of this when I'm like nine, ten years old. And honestly, I th- as I'm sure we've talked on this show before, probably on our Hackett shows that we did number five and number six almost three years ago now, hard to believe, didn't realize that Peter Gabriel and Steve Hackett were in the band or that they had all this great incredibly intricate and cool music. I mean, I didn't really know that till I was 30 or so. Like, I guess I knew that Peter Gabriel had been in Genesis, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't hear any of it until I was much older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same, same. I mean, I, I didn't think I, I don't, didn't catch up with Peter Gabriel until so came out. And then it was kind of like, Oh, you know that he was in Genesis before they, before, well, before he left right in the, in the late seventies. And yeah, I mean, or mid-70s, I guess, and just had no clue. No clue that they had put this stuff together. No clue that they had had these records out because there really isn't anything from those records that was on the radio. I mean, like, yes, right. had, like, you know, uh, they roundabout. Had roundabout and stuff like that. So yeah. you had heard that, but you hadn't heard the record. There really isn't anything on American uh, radio from those old, or from the true prog albums you're, you're right about that and remember we had carl palmer on the show and he's like yeah in the 70s in america it was brilliant you could get anything on the radio you uh-huh. you got a 12 minute suite that has like chimes and stuff in it <laughs> there's an american dj somewhere who will put that on fm radio but as soon as we got to 82 and we made asia they're like you gotta cut all that stuff out and it's aor And it's, you know, four minutes at the most, you know, kind of thing. And Genesis, although they always kind of had at least one long song on every album, they they did the same thing. And yeah, you're right. Yes, owner of the Lonely Heart, which is also turning 40, which we may just get to uh, Mm -hmm. 90125 before the end of the year here. Genesis was was doing the same thing. You know, we're going to have these. Well, plus it changed, you know, without Peter Gabriel, they didn't have these these necessarily these these long huge stories anymore without steve hackett you didn't have to have room for incredible guitar work and tony's piano playing Mm -hmm. but they also always kind of made room for others to do solo albums i mean Steve Hackett had done a solo album. Tony Banks' first solo album was in 79 after the, and then there were three. The album came out. Everybody kind of worked on each other's solo albums, like Phil played on Steve's solo album and stuff like that. So, you know, they, they kind of had the main band, but it seemed like there was enough space for people to do other things. Now, nobody knew that Phil Collins was going to have <laughs> this extraordinary solo career and when we do one of these album reviews we always like to talk about okay where was the band before you know leading up to this Mm -hmm. so yeah we talk about 78 all of a sudden they get a little bit pop there and in 81 they released abacab uh, which was a pretty big hit for them and had some big tracks they played basically today i mean had no reply at all on it Abacab, although no one knows exactly what it means, it was still a pretty big hit for them. (laughs) 
and they've been working with Hugh Padgham, uh, who worked with Dire Straits and who's, you know, an incredibly strong producer. You know, a lot of times it was just produced by Genesis, but now like, okay, we're going to work with Hugh and make sure that, you know, we, we kind of keep this going in the right direction kind of thing. So they'd done Duke and then they did Abacab, but see at the same time, Phil Collins is creating this solo career, right? Mm-hmm. And let's see here. Phil's first album, was that 1980? 80 or 81, I think. No, Face Value was 1981. Okay. Okay. So 81, they did both Abacab, which was a, you know, a million seller or whatever. Plus Phil did early in 81, he did Face Value, which included in the air tonight and missed again Mm -hmm. and you know how many did it sell i mean like 10 million i don't know yeah i mean it was was a big it was a big hit then and then he put out hello Hello, i must must be be going going. correct which wasn't as big but still didn't do too shabby so you wonder if at this point in time had the dynamic of the band changed any well and and the the answer is kind of yes i mean i see 5 million in the u.s 12 million it was 12 million worldwide Goodness for vase value, and then eighty one they do, uh, yeah, the 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 Abacab and the tour, and then Phil goes back to Hello, I Must Be Going, and he's got Can't Hurry Love on there, and you've got Don't Care Anymore, which you know obviously it's not as big as In the Air Tonight, but I've got three million in the U.S. And it's probably about seven or eight million around the world. So not so bad to be uh, Phil Collins there. So it was like, yeah, it was like, we're going to take eight months off from Genesis. And in that time, he worked on Robert Plant's album and he did the Philip Bailey song, Easy Lover. And then he put out his own thing, which was also produced by Hugh Padgham, you know? So it's like, Phil, uh, you want to, people like to give Phil a hard time, but Phil wasn't letting any grass grow under his feet. Phil, Phil was working pretty hard in these days and it was obviously paying off for him. Right. And usually that's kind of a one-off subject when somebody does, somebody from a big band does a solo record. It's usually like some kind of passion project and Mm -hmm. you're not going to sell a ton of copies, but you want to do something a little different. This was not that at all. These were huge successes. This was not, what was it, Bill Wyman's monkey grip. Right. <laughs> exactly. But then, you know, I mean, I remember seeing a thing on Fleetwood Mac with Stevie Nicks. He's like, okay, well, I'm going to go do a solo album. But if it does really badly, that could hurt the band. But if it does too well, <laughs> it's that could hurt, hurt the band. The band because yeah. then everyone's like, well, Stevie's this star, you know, kind of thing. And I think that's what kind of was was happening here. You know, No Jacket Required hadn't come out quite yet, but then... Like to kind of keep the Genesis thing going in 82 because they didn't they didn't have a tour in 82 and they didn't have an album release. They released a three by three EP called three by three and it had the song paper late. Remember that song paper late? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember this is weird because it wasn't on an album, but. But there it is. It's from 1982. It got into the charts. They also did Three Sides Live, where they had yeah, exactly what it says there, Three Sides Live from over the years. And I think they even had a little bit of from the Steve Hackett days on there. It's like most of it was like 80 and 81, but I think some of it went back to even 76 when Steve was still in the band. And then on the uh, on side four, they threw it, at least on the U.S. side, they threw in Paper Late and uh, everything from 3x3. Three three. Plus, they put on a couple of uh, B-sides. Evidence of Autumn was a Banks composition that was on the B-side of Turn It On Again in the U.S. and on the B-side of Misunderstanding the U.K. And then Open Door was the B-side to Duchess. So that was side four of this double album mm-hmm. that they put out. So kind of like Kiss Alive 2, where the first three sides 
were live. And then the last one was, uh, was uh, said studio stuff on it. So, and that went, that's a double live album and it went gold, right? So Genesis is, is, you know, they've kind of got this thing going. They don't want to stop, but they have to make room for Phil's solo act, which is becoming bigger. But I mean, to his credit, He's not really letting it ruin Genesis. <laughs> right. Because he does they they make this record, then he does No Jacket Required, then they do Invisible Touch, which is which is huge and a huge tour. So yeah, he was he was the one that could prop that could bridge both of those two worlds, live in both of them, and be successful. And I guess the other guys were okay with that. And it, they knew that Genesis was their thing. They put their English too, so who knows? Because I've I've tried to watch a whole bunch of interviews with them to see and it, it didn't seem like there was any animosity, but you never know. But hard to get a read off Tony, man. I mean, yeah. talk about <laughs> the kind of typical English, you know, no emotion there, you know, like right. smile, Tony. You've sold 100 million records or something yeah. like that. E- even at his second to last show ever with Genesis in the O2, when they're kind of introducing everyone around and, you know, Mike, Mike might not show his teeth, but he'll smile and wave to the crowd. Tony's just standing there stoically. Mm-hmm. And I, I even said it, I'm like, smile, you sack, you know, you're rich and famous, <laughs> you know, you can't get it from him. Very, very English. But even he was trying his hand at solo records. I mean, he had one in 79, I think it was called A Curious Feeling in 83 before Genesis, the self-titled Genesis album comes out. He releases The Fugitive, which I don't think went anywhere in America. It probably charted in England. Now it says peak position 50. So, <laughs> so no, so no, no. They're like, just, wait, wait, just do something with Phil Collins. Won't you? <laughs> yeah. That probably pissed Tony off a little bit, but you know, the thing is the change had happened. Like everyone used to have their own writing credits. And then mm-hmm. on this one, part of the reason they called it Genesis self-titled was because they did all the writing credits were shared by the guys. At right. least all the music was. You, mm-hmm. We find out later like who wrote them and who wrote the lyrics. So I don't know if that means they decided we're going to share all writing credits, 33, 33, 33. Or did they say, all right, we'll all get like one sixth, right? Because basically when it comes to writing credits, it, it's half music and half lyrics, right? Like to ASCAP and that kind of thing, it's basically, it's 50% melody and 50% lyrics. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that means they each get a sixth of every song musically, a sixth of the writing, and then whoever wrote the lyrics gets 50%, or do they all get 25% of a song for the music, and then whoever wrote the lyrics gets that fourth it's 25%. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they decided to do it. Maybe at this side they decide, at this point they decided, you know what? Let's just put it all 50-50-50 or 33 a piece. And I'll figure it. Look, Phil's stuff is selling well with Genesis. It's selling well outside of Genesis. Why don't we all just get a third of everything and make it easy? But I don't know. Yeah, and and one of the notes here was that they used to have stuff that they would bring in and then work on it and but that kind of led to people getting bent out of shape when you bring a song in and somebody says, "Well, what if you do it this way?" No, this is my song. I want it done exactly the way that I want it done. Mm-hmm. In this scenario, it's more everybody's kind of everybody's kind of working together to put the song together so that there I think there's less hurt feelings when people have different ideas. Yeah, and that should help the camaraderie. Right. Plus, I mean, didn't they have the farm now? They had like their own mm. 
a place where it's like they had a recording studio and it was a place kind of out in the country they could get away from. So you didn't necessarily have to come in with as much. You can go in there and start to ideate, which is a bullshit corporate word my wife taught me, but come up with stuff together and, and throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks there and, and kind of go from there. Yeah, it, it, we, we, uh, yeah. we forget now with the, with the everybody's got a laptop and Pro Tools and everything else. I mean, they used to spend thousands of dollars an hour Mm-hmm. For these big time uh, recording studios, so yeah, you didn't want to just go in there and fool around. But if you had your own studio like right. this, yeah, you were a lot freer to yeah experiment. Yeah, and then if you want to make money or or pay the taxes on the studio or whatever, fine, rent it out to other people when you're not there. <laughs> but when you want to do something, then you've got you know all the time in the world, right? So, right. Yeah, and it, I've it, it, I've seen like them in a documentary or something like that, like riding their bikes. And I don't know if it's like from the main house to the recording house or whatever. I'm like, that seems lovely. Let's just take a bike ride to work, you know, but it's not like a bike ride in the streets of London where you're like dodging buses and lorries and stuff like that. And people walking on the wrong side, you know, it's like, "Ah, la, 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 la. Seems nice. The ideal English countryside. Yes. (laughs) But the songs that have endured, are still the Collins lyrics and then to a degree Banks. It seems like Rutherford was not, I don't know, it seems like his stuff wasn't appreciated as much. I mean, there's nine songs in the album and Rutherford did the lyrics for four of them. So he has more writing, like lyric writing than anybody else. Collins only had two. Hey, guess what? They're both singles, you know? <laughs> and then Tony Banks had some, and we're going to kind of get into all that. But then it wasn't so long after that, it was in 85, that he puts together Mike and the Mechanics, and they do mm. run Silent Run Deep, and eventually does stuff like The Living Years, and you know has he has a pretty big solo career. It's like, I think this might have pissed Tony Banks off, because Peter Gabriel went on to have a huge solo career, a Rock and Roll mm-hmm. Hall of Fame solo career. Steve Hackett it may not be of huge recognition in America as a solo artist, However, he's made dozens of solo records and has a very loyal following, and he's touring the U.S. this fall. In fact, mm-hmm. I feel like it's it's this month, or it's it's at least October coming up as we record this. You know, Phil Collins becomes one of the biggest solo artists in the world. Mike has this really huge thing, side project with Mike and the Mechanics. Tony continued to release albums, and I think they do okay in the U.K., but they don't really go anywhere else. And I, I feel like that just made him a little you know i write all this music for genesis mm-hmm. i'm the one who screams the loudest and make sure that my stuff my riffs my piano pieces are on all these songs and yet i'm the only one who doesn't achieve the huge success away from the band yeah and and even though you are stoic and you have that english sensibility about you yeah it, it there has to be some part of you that's not happy with that or you think, why not me? Why do these other guys have success outside the band? And I, the, for whatever reason, people, the, the music that I make on my own doesn't resonate the same way. And you can't say it's because he doesn't sing or he's not the main singer. Because he does sing on, I think, uh, on, on a lot of his songs. Steve Hackett didn't sing on his songs till very late in his career. He always had singers in for mm-hmm. him. Mike you know, obviously famously had Paul Young and Paul Carrick in his band because he didn't sing, you know, you know, so it's, it's not just because he wasn't a singer. So it, it probably, it's probably a little craw, you know, and then he, yeah. he started to do some classical stuff, which did better than his pop stuff. So mm. maybe it's like, well, yes, I'm a serious artist, you know, <laughs> I record classical music. I don't put out silly songs. Yes. You know. Hi, this is Steve Hackett. You're listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. But nevertheless, so yeah, this one sold, it was 4 million in the U.S. alone, which is kind of amazing. Platinum in Germany and France and New Zealand and, and double platinum in the U.K. And so, you know, I'm guessing it probably sold in the 7 to $8 million, I'm seven, 7 to $8 million copy range, something like mm-hmm. that around the world. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, versus say, what did Wind in the Wuthering sale, sell, you know, what did Selling England by the Pound sell? especially in its first year. I mean, since it's kind of become a classic, but in 1972, 73, they weren't selling 8 million albums a year. Right. And th- and that's kind of the hard part for me too, going and doing research for this. You see the the sales as of now, but you uh, you really wonder when this record came out or, you know, even Abacab, do people go and work backwards from there and do the back catalog, get a huge bump from people discovering the band at that point in time? Yeah, see, I, I'm kind of doubtful uh because especially in america you just i i never i still to this day have never heard a peter gabriel era genesis song on the radio not once in 50 years never yeah, in america I'd probably say the same thing and not that i remember you know but i've but starting with follow you follow me i've heard genesis all over the place and i've heard peter gabriel's solo stuff all mm. over the place but never have i heard kind of pre-Phil Collins as the lead singer Genesis on American radio ever. Unless you're in one of those, you know, freaky deep cuts, somebody's going on a journey and they throw something like that in there. Right. And then I'm I'm sure that they played it on the radio in the 70s when it was coming out new and they're like promoting the album and they're promoting the tour, sure. But I don't really come into the radio till like 81 or 82. Mm. And then that's when classic rock radio just starts to become a thing. It was like in that early to mid 80s. Suddenly there's like, you know what? It doesn't have to be on the top 40 right now, but it was in the 70s or it was in the 60s. So we're going to play classic Stones or classic whatever Eagles, you know, on this station. And it'll be like, time stops and maybe and and of course when we were in high school and stuff they had the best classic rock and today's rock Mm. 
you know, so you would hear stuff from the 60s, 70s, and then you'd hear the new hot rock and stuff that was in the charts in the 80s. Now, because it's so broad, you don't really have stations like that anymore. You have stations that have like 60s, 70s, and 80s, and then it stops. Or like my favorite, well, it was my old favorite, QMF, 95.7. It was the rock station my entire life. I moved back. They still do 60s. It's mostly 70s and 80s, but they do a lot of 90s now. And they do a ton. You would think Bon Jovi and Guns N' Roses were the Rolling Stones and the Beatles, the way they play them on this station. <laughs> it's crazy. Plus, they have like that whole it's it, they do have some grunge, which, you know, I don't like. But then they also kind of have that 90s. It's like bands that just aren't that good, like like Limp Biscuit. I'm like, that counts as classic rock. You got to be kidding me. Those guys suck like three doors down. Fine. I like those guys. But but that whole new metal nonsense mm-hmm. just ugh. unfortunately if i think classic rock is well i mean what's the rock and roll hall of fame 25 years after right. you put out your first record so yeah that does count as classic rock unfortunately now yeah but it classically sucked then and it sucks <laughs> even worse now that's what i say anyway let's not go down that road let's get into genesis self-titled 1983 multi-platinum juggernaut not as big as invisible touch but that that's that's what's coming next right right but but i think this definitely opened the door for that because because i think when invisible touch came out this was still played the tracks here were still played on the radio and you had the phil collins stuff so yeah this well not as big i think this definitely kept the kept the momentum going for them absolutely it did absolutely it did all right so let's let's start with the first song which was a single and that's mama mm-hmm. now they made a video for this thing but i don't ever remember seeing it I, I i don't either i mean i think i saw it much later in life kind of like when i got into steve hackett Mm-hmm. Uh, from the uh, when they did the uh, the BBC thing, uh, some of the parts so good, such a good, and I know Steve Hackett didn't like it because it, they didn't really talk much about his solo career. It was just really about the band. But that's what got me into Steve. So it can't be all bad, Steve. Come on, man. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, Mama first single. Mm-hmm. It went to number four in the uk and that is the highest a genesis song has gone in the uk i'm like what really this one Hmm. because this is a weird one to me it went to five in mainstream rock in the u.s but it only went to 73 on the billboard top 100 because it's it's kind of an odd song it's it's downbeat you know tony's kind of got the he's got the thing going but it's 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 kind of a dark song b-side was it's going to get better and it's got that weird it's it's very very strange it's not what you think of when you think genesis And a weird way, weird that it was a single, but also weird that it was the first track on the record too. Because it, to me, it sounds like industrial before mm-hmm. that was even a thing at the beginning. And it's got it, yeah, it's got the weird video. And the, are we? Is this about him being in love with a prostitute or something, and she doesn't love him back or something? And then yeah, that the uh, the laughing part is odd. 
Although they did say it was weird because they thought he could never do it live, but apparently he could, no problem. Yeah, and also on that, some of the parts, he's talking about, like, he got that from Grandmaster Flash. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay, I see that with Grandmaster Flash. I, I, I recognize that. He's like, see, Genesis, Grandmaster Flash? putting it all together aren't we i'm like no you're not man that doesn't make any fucking sense i i, I don't maybe, get maybe it maybe to you but no yeah. okay but they play it they played it i mean they played it like on every tour they did basically after that and i'm like really this this one this is just i mean you could substitute out so many other things for this when i saw them on the last domino tour the second to last show they ever did yeah, it was like the third song that they did in the t- and on the night, and I'm like, this one, you know, it just, <laughs> I, it just, it surprised me. But then I didn't know it was such a huge hit for them in England, and that changes things, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Kiss plays the same set list every night in America, but when they go to England, they put in Crazy Crazy Nights because that was a huge hit over there, minor okay. hit over here. So Mama's a huge hit. In the UK, that's where they're from. They care more about that than anywhere else. So it's like, okay, I I get it. So I can say I saw them perform this song. I wasn't super psyched about it, but <laughs> but hey, but there it is. You know, it's uh, it's special to them. It's important to them, and uh, and so they did it. But I I don't like it, and it's yeah, long I, too. I mean, yeah. it's almost seven minutes long. So that's not the single version. The single version's like half that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. It very very bizarre, and and if it was a huge hit for them, that's excellent. But yeah, I I could skip over this one to be honest with you. Yeah, I'm with you. Actually, the single version wasn't half that. The single version was like just over six minutes, which is kind of surprising. The video was five minutes and change. And then they also had a long version, probably on like a 12 inch uh, single that was like seven and a half. I'm like, you make that longer? What for, dude? This is. And it's a song singing to a prostitute, and I'm like, ugh. All right, can we move along, please? Because compared to Duke and Abacab, like, the songs are better on those, at least to start. Now you got the kind of bouncy, that's all, piano piece. Both of these are Collins' lyrics, these first two. And this one, I've liked it ever since I was a kid, and I still like it. I mean, it's, you know, released on uh, Halloween, 1983. This one did pretty well on the charts. I mean, six hot 100 in the... In the U.S., seven on Adult Contemporary, and it made it top twenty in uh, in the U.K. Got to two in Canada's Adult Contemporary. It did, it did pretty well around the world. Yeah, I, and and I remember the video like it was yesterday. It was on pretty heavy rotation. I thought it was a little strange that you could do whatever you want, and they wanted to be hobos. <laughs> uh, and it, it was also like, these guys are rock stars? Okay. They look kind of old and not super. I mean, in 1983, as a child, they look old and not Right. I mean, compared to, to me. Michael Jackson and Duran Duran and Minute Work, it's like, yeah. no, these guys are grownups with kids. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> Duran Duran's like, I'm going to look like the guys in Duran Duran in about seven years. Like, it's going to be a long time before I look like these guys, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But that, but that piano intro, I mean, you play that one second, you know exactly what it is. I always thought it was a little weird too with that electronic drum beat. And then when you figure out, wait a minute, Phil Collins was the drummer and he let them use that pre-programmed piece of garbage. Okay. Well, you know, 
He's got to sing. Mean, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it works. And I understand that, yes, when, when they play live, he doesn't do the drumming. I just thought it was weird. But then they put, there are real drums that come in. Right. Uh, about halfway through. Right. And they, you know, they, they play this a lot. They did not play it when I saw them. But, I mean, they, they could do so many different things. They've got so much that they could do. You can't really get super pissed off if they don't play. Oh, wait, that's not, they, they played it, but they played it differently. I'm, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Okay. It was like an acoustic thing. Huh. Without the kind of classic piano, without the classic drum, it was just a little different. I assume that there's going to be a live album and a DVD released of this last tour. Although, maybe they'll just do an album because, I mean, Phil looked half dead mm -hmm. in the show. I mean, I, I yeah. joked it was the corpse of Phil Collins out there. Mm -hmm. His, he still had the attitude, but he had to sit and kind of hold his cane in his mm -hmm. hand there. And I, I give him credit for belting it out and honoring because, they, you know, this got delayed because of COVID mm -hmm. and his health kind of went down during that time. Plus, I'm pretty sure he was on some real pain meds because when he was on like BBC, he kind of had that slur going on. Oh, boy. That you hear from people who are taking a lot of pain meds. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought he sounded good. But, you know, he was also kind of a little ornery between some songs and you know it's like fuck putin you know and everyone's like yeah but i'm like yeah but dude you don't need to say that uh you don't, <laughs> you don't see the f word in front of everybody yeah but anyway no yeah because they they kind of had this they did the first nine or ten songs and then they kind of broke it down because they had a couple keyboard players and they had a backup singers and then they kind of just broke it down it was phil tony comes up front to have a little small kind of electric piano play thing mike and then nick on the on the drums Nick was excellent on mm -hmm. the drums, by the way. I mean, I'm I'm not a huge fan of nepotism in bands. Like, oh, yeah, we'll just put my kid in the band. Like, you could get someone better. I know you can. I mean, even though they've, they've grown up listening to it, I know them. there's fine. You get someone better. No, I, I think Nick really did earn it and do a really good job. But they did That's All. They did Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, which was a little surprising to me. And then they did Follow You, Follow Me, which, of course, I love. So, mm -hmm. They, they did those kind of in this stripped down, though. Uh, that was cool. But it's it wasn't exactly the same. But I, I remember as a kid listening to That's All. No big heavy guitars. Kind of surprised that I like it. But it must have been Phil's voice that was starting to become ubiquitous at this point. Yeah, and, and you say that. And I was kind of thinking the same thing, too. But if you go back and, and listen to it a couple of times, Rutherford is doing something a little tasty there at the end with the solo. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not overstated, but it just it fits in really nicely. And I think he's another one of those guys that we talked about a couple of times, like Mike Campbell from the Heartbreakers, where, you know, he, it's not real flashy, but it's exactly what you need in the track. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, look, Rutherford is not Steve Hackett as a guitar mm -hmm. player. But he is a very nice, very fine guitar player. He's certainly a competent guitar player. That you're right. He puts in what is needed mm -hmm. to the song. Plus, if they need something else, they can always get Daryl Sterner to to kind of pop something in there. But I think they're pretty adamant about we'll make all the music, and then we need those other guys to tour. So I'll I'll put right. in the bass, I'll put in the guitar, and then to do it live, yes, we need Daryl who can switch back and forth also, and we need Chester on the drums. But but yeah, I mean they that's what they are. They're musicians and they do all this. The B side was in the UK. It was taking it all too hard, which we'll get to here in a bit. In the US, the B side was Second Home by the Sea, which we're obviously going to get there here in a second. But it did well. It's it's one that kind of endures, and it's a Phil Wright, so it did well for them. <laughs> 
Now we get into, you know, some of the more classic kind of Genesis stuff, as far as I'm concerned, because you could take Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea as one suite that's mm-hmm. kind of like 11 minutes long. They, they are definitely different songs. They have different rhythms. They have different chord progressions or whatever. There is a little bit at the end of Second Home by the Sea. There is a little bit of a callback to the, to the lyrics of Home mm-hmm. by the Sea. But breaking them in half, Home by the Sea, I always loved this song. It, 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 all, it was kind of a deep cut on classic rock radio while we were growing up. I mean, it was yes. a single, but it wasn't right. like a huge single. And, and mm-hmm. to me, it was kind of a, it was an album cut. Yeah, and it and it's more. It, this is more upbeat. This is it's weird because it's darker, but it's more upbeat. Exactly. And yeah, it, and they do that pretty well. Put uh, put those two together, and then you kind of have some odd lyrics there. Like, what is he really talking about? There's some deal about how it's a it's a story about a guy who breaks into a house, right? And it's haunted. <laughs> Okay. And then the ghosts hold him there and tell them all about <laughs> their lives. And... <laughs> but it was, it's it's interesting because I was thinking about when I was reading that and then listening to the song, I was kind of thinking about Neil from Def Lep mm-hmm. podcast and about what he was saying about growing up in Liverpool and having all the old guys tell him about, you know, how great the Beatles were. I kind of got that, like, you know, we live our lives through what we tell you. Like, okay, we've heard these stories a million times. Thanks. No one cares anymore. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, here's the thing. It may not have really been, I mean, it it, it, it was a single, I guess, with Home, in the, Home, Home by the Sea on the front and Second Home by the Sea on the back. But it was like released in the Netherlands, you know, or it was, it was you know, and then it hit the charts in New Zealand, Australia in like 86, 87 kind of after invisible touch (laughs) had come out and had all that run. And then like, well, we got another one for you and it is good. And I I feel like it was uh, heard on the radio some, but it it was never on the chart, certainly not in America or the UK in the 83, 84 timeframe, but you're right. I mean, it's, I think it's a great composition. It's got great music in it. And then his singing, is it someone help me, get me out of here. And it's like, It's it's supposed to be scary, but it's also it's it's it like you say it's upbeat and you can sing along to it and it's got good progressions. Like this is just a really good song. It's just an odd topic, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't write songs, so I don't know how it goes. But to put those to put those things together and make it work, uh, and you're right, it's it's cool when you, maybe you're not super familiar with a record and you get to something like this and you say, wow, you know what? How come I've never heard this before? Why don't I hear this more? Because this this could I mean, it was a single, but it, this should have been on the radio more. The only thing I really ever remember hearing from this record at the time was that's all. I, I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah, absolutely. One hundred percent with you in America. And that was the case. Now, they did play this on their last tour. I mean, I think they mm-hmm. they kind of continue to play this quite a bit. And they, play, they played them both. They played Home by the Sea, and then they went second, straight into Second Home by the Sea. And on the screens behind them, they kind of had like a, a ghostly chateau, like by the Ooh. sea there, you know, kind of mm-hmm. green, you know, kind of thing there. Which fits better for the second part of it, I feel like. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and you see it as one sweet, see it as one eleven minute song. You know, it's it, it's pretty good. You know, it, it's I liked it. I liked the whole thing. I mean, I liked the first part a heck of a lot better. But I think it's cool that they still kind of honored them both and put them both together as one suite of music. Plus, mm-hmm. Phil doesn't have to sing as much during the second part, right? So that gives him a little time to take a break take a sip of water, pop a pain pill, whatever he's got to do <laughs> while you've got this screen going on and you've got Tony being able to do his thing and kind of show yeah. off a little bit. So I like it. And it's, these are Tony Banks written songs, at least the lyrics. So you know that Tony's going to get his stuff into the show. But that's side one. Now, I've only ever had it on CD here. I got it used yeah. some some years ago because I'm like, yeah, this has got good stuff on it. And I, it's got the Home by the Sea suite on it. I want to have I that think, some. I think I was in the same boat. It was one of those, you know, you're kind of just bebopping through the store and you're like, is Genesis like, you know, on the 499 rack? I'll, yeah. Gotta, I've got to have a copy of that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think I got it used, but yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, if you can get that for five bucks, you should absolutely pick that up, you know. But now, that, granted, it was it wasn't like the super deluxe version or you know, it was the one where you pull it out and it's only you pull the uh the little booklet out and it's only got two pages and it's just the black and white stuff on the inside. So you're buying it just for the music, but I'll take it. That's right. You know, but it's it, these two songs that the home by the sea, it was kind of like a microcosm of the transition from prog to pop. It's like you take them all as a suite. Mm-hmm. The two is a suite. All right. That's an 11 minute song. It's got these different changes and all that kind of stuff in it. But the first part home by the sea is kind of poppy. Even mm-hmm. though it's kind of got this dark undertone to it, it's it's very poppy and it's it's got some hooks in it. It's it's something you would expect to hear on the radio. Anyway, going on to side two. Now, mm-hmm. this is where you find all the Mike Rutherford penned lyrics on mm-hmm. four mm-hmm. of these five, including the first one, Illegal Alien. Yes. Now, I kind of actually do remember this song a little bit. It was not okay. a huge hit, but you did hear it on the radio a bit. And it went to 44 on the Hot 100, which means you heard it. Whereas in the UK, it got to 46, which our friend Neil will tell you if it doesn't get to top 40, you didn't hear it, hear it, you know, and you certainly mm-hmm. didn't see the video. It's supposed to be fun, right? I mean, it's like, you know, they basically wrote it based on the fact that, you know, they were having troubles securing their visas and stuff to like tour or whatever. They put uh, Turn It On Again live as the B-side, which Turn It On Again is my favorite like Latter-day Genesis song or the pop Genesis uh, stuff so it's like all right that's cool we put that back out there you know so it's like the fourth i guess single that came out from it released in in early 84 funny little video but i think they got some flack for it <laughs> <laughs> i would imagine so and when you look at it now it's uh it's a little on the cringy side like i understand it's supposed to be tongue-in-cheek i understand it's supposed to be goofy you know, even the even the the intro is kind of goofy, you know, with the with the keyboard part. But mm-hmm. yeah, there there's some stuff in there where you're like, oh fellas, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Got a little 
waking up from a hangover, carrying a bottle of tequila. It's like, yeah. And then you've got Phil Collins. Like, is he? Is are we trying to have like a you know a Hispanic Mexican accent singing this? And it's mm-hmm. like, oh. and they have their little mustaches on in the video. It's like, what right. are you trying to be, Speedy Gonzalez? This yeah. is this is kind of ridiculous. So. <laughs> I love that Blender listed Illegal Alien as the 13th worst song of all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I noticed, too, that if you, if you watch the video, they leave out a, a refrain from one of the choruses where he's talking about, like, his sister will do whatever it takes to get him across the border or something like that. Like, mm. oh, jeez. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, I... It's it's probably just done in bad taste, but I mean they they got hammered for it. Like the Tampa Bay Times said, it was ridiculous and asked if it was the one of the most racist songs of the eighties. Reader's Digest included a illegal alien on a list of racist songs, which is not good. It proves that uh, undervaluing Mexicans has been an American theme for decades. Well, they're English, so don't blame us Americans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The San Antonio Current, where you used to live, says it goes full-on racist and tackles every Hispanic stereotype that exists. So probably not a great uh, look for them. (laughs) Yeah, in hindsight, you might want to take that back. But the thing is, these are white people complaining about, you know, I mean, did any illegal aliens complain about it? No, because if they did, then we kicked them out for being illegal aliens. So... You know, <laughs> sorry, you know, it's it's like it's wrong, but it's like, you know, I, I, just, I don't want to hear from the white people. If the illegal aliens want to tell me that it's wrong, they can come and tell me that it's wrong. And then I'll have INS take them back to Mexico. <laughs> Thank you for filing the complaint. Exactly. Way, yeah, exactly. Just just walk down here. Everything's <laughs> going to be fine. <laughs> but I don't I mean, it's not a great song. And obviously the concept is wrong. The one thing that struck me, too, is that the lyrics there are kind of shoehorned into the melody they, a lot of them they don't it doesn't really go together they they do it a lot better in a couple of other tracks on this song but it just sounds like you wrote these probably independently and the, the refrains just don't fit in there for me anyway yeah and did did phil play a little trumpet in the bridge or in the i don't know someone it's, did or yeah. maybe it was a keyboard i don't know but it's just you know it was only played live in its entirety during the Mama Tour, which was the tour off this album. So mm. I think they got the hint eventually that this is not one you need to kind of continue to do. <laughs> Hi, this is Jim McCarthy of the Arbors, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. But then the next song, Taking It All Too Hard, I get, what is this, the fifth single mm-hmm. off the album? Unbelievable. You have nine songs off the album. More than half of them are released in, as singles over the course of a year. And you know that's powerful, man, because you usually have a single that comes out before the album comes out in October of 83. Or is it, when was this released? Uh, this was October, I think. Yeah, October 3rd yeah. Uh, of 83. More than half the songs are singles. And this is probably what Mutt Lang was seeing when he's talking to Def Leppard. Like, look, this Pyromania album, will get you three, maybe four singles. But the next one, we got to do five, mm-hmm. six seven singles which is what steve clark started like wringing his hands over like oh my god how are we gonna make five or six i better go drink a bottle of vodka to calm down (laughs) but this was this is kind of that classic 80s genesis soft rock like you 
you hear this on the rock station, but you'd also hear this on adult contemporary, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a little soft. Now I think it's a very nice song, but I mean, I wouldn't rock out to it, but when it comes on, I'm like, ah, yeah, this, I know this one. This (laughs) is pretty good. What I like about this song is it's kind of starts off a little on the, on the bland and generic side. But when Collins comes in with those vocals, he really steps up and sings his face off on this deal and anybody who, well, you know, Phil, can he really sing? Yeah, he can really sing. He's killing it on this track. Yeah, no, it does great, and and Tony does very nice work on his Yamaha on this one. I mean, I, I this is a very nice song, but like mm-hmm. I said, you know, fifty on the Hot 100, but eleven on Adult Contemporary because yeah. when you just want that mellow drive home, this is perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Eh, but what are they taking too hard? I mean, what's the subject of it? No video for it. Yeah, uh, but it was released and Silver Rainbow, which is also uh, which we're going to get to here. Uh, mm-hmm. which is coming up, is the B-side. I, I think Just a Job to Do is the only song that was not released as a single or a B-side off the album. Everything which, else was a single or a B-side. Which it totally could have. Yeah, and I know because they played it on the radio anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, how do I know this? They didn't release this. I'm like, oh yeah, they played this on the radio. I heard it, you know. And it's pretty good. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but But no, taking it all too hard, yeah, you recognize this. But I feel like this is one of those that you don't know if it's Genesis or Phil Collins, like especially right away, you know what I mean? Correct. And and that's that's one of the things that that always kind of sticks with me. I saw a two seconds of an interview with Tony Banks, and he was talking about this time, and he's yeah, well, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to really put your finger on who the creative force in the band was, really, Tony, because because <laughs> I was talking to my wife about this, like you can play the game is this a Phil Collins song or is this a Genesis song? And there's a lot of them, especially like you said, this one, you're, it's going to be tough. Is this one of his, or is this one of the Genesis songs? Cause it, it, you can definitely feel his pop influence coming into the band now. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, Tony's sticking up for himself, I know. Oh, of course. I understand. He's not going to be like, yeah, we totally took a back seat. I understand he's not going to say that, but still, like, do you really believe that? Or are you just, you know, that's stiff upper lip? Yeah, exactly. So this is, to me, it's, but Mike wrote the lyrics for this. Mm-hmm. They, they all wrote the music together. You know, that's great. It kind of endures. I don't know if they played it a whole lot. I mean, I'm sure they played it on the Mama Tour. I don't know if they played it a whole lot in years since. But yeah, to me, it's like, it, it's exactly that. Like you take three or four Phil Collins albums and then you take the 80s Genesis. And this is one of the ones where you... <laughs> If you didn't know for sure, if unless you're a hardcore <laughs> fan, you would say, oh, that's Phil Collins. Like, no, no, that's actually, that's Genesis. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to song number three, Just a Job to Do. Now, this is, like I said, this is like the one that didn't get released as a single somehow. But I like this one. This is actually pretty good. So it's kind of got that fast-paced keyboard at the front of it there. Yeah. The bang, bang, bang. Down they go. Yeah, and the Hold nice guitar you. part too. Yeah. Underneath it. And it's uh yeah, it, it this is this this is probably the most upbeat, most rocking tune they've got on here. 
I, again, I don't know why they didn't release it as a single or make a video. Cause I mean, you, I can already picture what's going on in my head. It's some, you know, greasy private eye looking for somebody uh, uh, not really a whole lot. The, the lyrics aren't super deep, but it tells it's a nice story song. Yeah, and he's really belted it out here, Phil. I, mean, yeah. I got a name and I got a number. Yeah, I guess that's kind of it's kind of a private eye kind of thing is what the theme of it is. Mm-hmm. Pretty darn good song, if you ask me. Now, you can't release everything as right. a single. <laughs> I, I would have released this before Illegal Alien. I mean, I understand they're trying to have a little bit of fun, but it just seems like someone should have tapped him on the shoulders. Like, first of all, this song is weird. Secondly, some people <laughs> might not like it, but then we didn't really have sensitivity to anybody other than ourselves back in the early 80s. I don't feel like no, it's a joke, Come especially on. English people, people right? You know, yeah. yeah, it's like you're all beneath us anyway, so it doesn't really matter <laughs> what color your skin is, you know, or where you're from. Uh, so you know, you're all peasants as far as we're concerned, but just a job to do with the hard on you has good transitions in it. I'm like, this yeah. is a really good, it's got, this is yeah, a really good nice song. Chorus. It's, yeah. it's a nice, a nice bridge and ni- yeah, everything in there. And I couldn't believe I went through, I couldn't believe it was not ever used in Miami vice, but it was used in another, in another show. Oh it yeah. Was the in, yeah. It was the intro to, I think it was only a 13 episode deal. It was a Miami vice ripoff called the insiders i'm like i know i've heard this before really yeah, it was yeah it was about they i think they were supposed to be like newspaper reporters or something it never got it never got picked up but i just remember that i just remember watching the intro to that show i don't think i ever watched the show one time I'm like but i love this song right and that was a way you could hear it interesting all right well that's good deep background that i didn't have that's pretty awesome and one of the uh it was the you know it was the white guy and the black guy just like uh <laughs> miami vice just and like crockett the, and tubs Correct, correct. Except for the tubs in this show was my cousin Stony Jackson. Nice, Stony. Yeah, correct. So, shout out to the uh, extended family here. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, so that was a Banks uh, lyric, right? But I and, and you get it on rock radio here in America, so it's kind of like this thing is unstoppable. I mean, of course, what did Invisible Touch come out? Was it eighty six? It was eighty six. Okay. So that's that's a few years. That's a long time. But, I mean, they had singles coming out for a whole year from late, you know, uh, 83 all the way through the summer of 84. Plus, you got this one doing well on its own, just a job to do on on rock radio. So they kind of, you know, they stretch it out a little bit more. And then, of course, when Uh, No Jacket Required comes out, that skyrockets. And that, I guess, helps Genesis. I mean, do you think that helps Genesis or hurts them? I, I feel like it helps them. I feel like it helps it too because the songs are so much the same or in the similar vein. Like if you like face value, you'd like this record. If you like, you know, if you if you like uh, No Jacket Required, you'd like this. Mm-hmm. It's it's I think it helps them in the sales. I think so, too, although eventually it would create backlash because, look, the, the record industry, the the, the Industry executives, maybe in like the 60s or early 70s, they knew something about music. They were young. They knew what was coming up and that kind of thing. 
By the time you got to like the late 70s and into the early 80s, all the original folks were too old to kind of know what's going on. And it all became very copycat. So it's like, mm. oh, you guys like punk? Okay, let's get rid of all that prog stuff and everything's punk. You know, it's like, and then it kind of became new wave. And then it's like, oh, you guys like hair metal? Let's put aside every single hair metal band there is. So much so that by the end of the 80s, you're sick of it. And then in the early 90s, you have to have grunge to get rid of it. Oh, you don't like that anymore? Okay, let's kill off all the hair metal bands. Let's just sign every single grunge band. And then you get sick of that, you know, and it has to go to something else. So it's like executives aren't too bright. They're like, oh, the the, the morons out there like this. Let's give them as much of this as they can mm-hmm. stomach, right? And so that's what happened with Phil Collins and Genesis. Oh, you like Phil Collins. All right, well, he's going to have five singles off his solo album, and then in a year and a half, we're going to have five singles off a Genesis album, and then we're going to let him do a soundtrack, you know, but he's going to do Against All Odds during this time. You know, he's going to do the White Knights, you know, song, whatever it was. Um, Not White Knights, but um, it was a duet he did with that girl that was the... Oh yeah, it was a separate, uh, separate lives. Separate lives, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And I think that was from White Knights. Exactly, yeah. Separate lives comes out, you know, and it's like, oh, Philip Bailey from Earth, Wind, and Fire wants to do a solo album. Well, let's put Phil Collins on there with yeah. him. It'll be better than Ebony and Ivory, you know, and and it was, you know, it's like God, they just put him into everything. It's like, yeah. okay, this works. Let's sell the snot out of this till people are so sick of it. Till the time we get to the nineties, like. Phil Collins is a meme before we knew what a meme was. Like <laughs> people are so much backlash. Oh, it's all so cheesy and it's all the same. I'm like, well, you kept buying it. You yeah, know? you That's... did you, you, for about a solid about 10, 12 years, you did love him. And he was he was all over the place and he, you know, parlayed that into other acting roles. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you really you can't argue with success you can't argue with over a hundred million sales of his solo self alone for both right yeah this is a question that that i ask and and people usually get the first two and they never get the third it's like there are three artists who sold a hundred million records with their original band and a hundred million as a solo artist and that includes singles and everything like Mm. you know who are they and people always get paul mccartney right and they usually get michael jackson and they never get Phil Collins. <laughs> and it's true. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, he's got hundreds of millions of dollars. He doesn't really care what you think anymore. Although yeah. he does. I've seen him get a little butt hurt, and, and he will attack people in the press, especially in England, where the press is just a little nastier. He can get a little nasty back, and because the press, like, we're the nasty ones, you don't get to be nasty, then they really attack him, you know? So, <laughs> like, seriously, Phil Collins is, people in America are like, oh, yeah, he's cheesy, but, like, people in the UK are like, screw him, you know, kind of thing. Wow. Plus, he moved to, to he, he lived in America for a while, and people yeah. didn't like that. He moved to Switzerland, basically, for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. They never like that, although all the rich English people do it, yeah. so I, I don't know what their problem is. But anyway, moving on to Silver Rainbow. Now, this was actually, Tony Banks is the one he wrote on this side. It was originally called Adam, because it kind of sounded like something Adam Ant would do, I guess, okay. in their mind. I had never heard this one before I bought the record. It, it's, to me... <laughs> This is very early 80s. (laughs) Like, if you just gave me the dates, like, all right, this either came off of Invisible Touch in 86 or Genesis in 83. Which one was it? Like, obviously Genesis in 83, because by 86, the music had changed. This is very, Mm -hmm. with the keyboards and stuff, this is very early 80s to me. And the sun should turn to blue And you keep on going 
this sounds like maybe an old song that they had lying around that they kind of jazzed up for the uh, for the early '80s. That this is the most leftover proggy style in the whole album. You think so? Uh, yeah, I kind of think like that. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like this. This was an idea maybe that they had that they. It's not going to work on the record, but here if we change it up a little bit, mm-hmm. that's what it sounds like to me. It also kind of sounds like in a couple of the refrains. He sounds a lot like Peter Gabriel on on one or two of the real quick. Oh yeah, yeah. To me, anyway. Well, then that's that's probably informing the way you describe it as well, right? If yeah. You, you know, yeah. If you if you're hearing Pete, then you're like it. It automatically takes you like yeah. seventy three or whatever. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I I I like it. I mean, it's it, the B side to taking it all too hard. It's probably not one that I would search out. Oh, I want to listen to Silver Rainbow today. It fits in, I think, on the album, but. It fits the time more than it fits mm-hmm. the album to me. Yeah. And then and now I'm kind of biased going through and listening to these people talk about producing records, mm-hmm. you know, about where you and how you sequence and like, oh, you know, you put your you put your weak stuff almost at the end of the second side. So, so right. Like, is that what this is? Or are you trying to sneak this in right before the end of this or what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like we we've had we had five singles on the album can't even fit them all on the first side you know so yeah well and this is a b-side we'll just kind of mm. squeeze it in here at the end and it's it's going to get better the last song which is rutherford again <laughs> my notes for very 80s schlock <laughs> sounds like the end roll credits to a bad 80s rom-com like <laughs> like like you know she they, at the end they, they decide oh you know what we really do love each other and they make out in the office building or you know as the kids are going crazy around them or whatever and then the credits roll and then this song comes on I don't love this one. This is definitely like we had better songs and Phil's got better songs on his solo records. We even put a few good songs out on a EP last year. So it's like, we're just rounding this out. We're getting it to 46 minutes <laughs> and we'll see you on tour. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the eighties rom-com or, you know, they, he grabs her from the wedding and they, they <laughs> drive off in the convertible cause they're really in love. Yeah. Something like that. The, the group, the, the, it's got kind of a fat bass groove and that's nice, but yeah, it's it, the lyrics are generic. They mm-hmm. don't really mean anything. You just kind of put them in there. Exactly. And, and, Again, I'm I'm biased now too because this is the last song. Is this something that you just kind of buried? Eh, they won't even get to this anyway, so who cares? Pretty much. That's yeah. the way I look at it. You know, it, when you have such strong stuff or at least popular stuff uh, right. up front, it's all front loaded. I think it's I think it's actually tough with an album like this when you have if you have if, like, say you bought this late, like it's still we're still talking 83, 84, but you bought this late mm-hmm. and you heard all the singles. It, it's hard to sneak anything else in there because you're like, I'm just now I'm just want to go through and listen to the singles that I know. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if you only had like one or two, maybe you listen to the record of the record and kind of give it a chance. But now you're like, nah, skip, skip, skip. I'm done. Let's go back to the beginning. Probably so. And then they did a successful tour and then they had to take some time off. And then Mike went and did 
Mike and the mechanics, you know, so it's like, and, and Tony, I'm sure worked on some, some stuff, you know, and, and so, yeah, man, I mean, this is, this is setting them up for, for great success. Well, they've already had great success. This yeah. is 4 million in the U S by itself, but this is kind of wedged in between some, or I'm sorry, Phil, Phil went on to do no jacket required. Sorry. Face value was 81. He went on to do no jacket required. And that's one of the biggest albums of the eighties. I mean, yeah. 25 million sold world why 12 million in the u.s alone 2 million in the uk which at the time meant like one in every 25 people had one and it went to number one in the u.s the uk switzerland sweden spain norway new zealand germany the netherlands canada top 10 almost everywhere else it's like you couldn't get away from phil collins at this point and it had what did it have five singles on it i think i think Um, so yeah or at least four at Susudio, one more night, don't lose my number and take me home. But I think there might be one more that we know for one reason or another. But anyway, I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. He had four singles off of that, but, but if you're talking about that, so that, so you had one in January, two in January, July, two in January and two in July. So basically you had half a year of putting these things out and it just keeps rolling. And then for Genesis, you roll into invisible touch which I'm trying to find where the sales of this are, but this was even bigger than the Genesis record. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, invisible touch, I think was like 16 million, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And it's, it's like, good Lord, man. So if if you go from this little one, this little Genesis record, which only (laughs) sold about seven or 8 million, (laughs) you know, copies, then you go to your solo album, which ends up doing 25 million. Then you go to to Invisible Touch, which was 6 million in the U.S. Plus you're right on both coasts of the world for Live Aid, you know, plus you end up on Miami Vice, plus, 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 plus. It's like the guy was minting money, mm-hmm. but he was working hard for it. I, I got to give him credit, you know, because like he's... He's, he's working on Robert Plant solo albums, and he also did, you know, the U.S. port of, of Robert's first tour as a solo artist, you know. He's doing the thing with Philip Bailey. He's doing stuff for soundtracks. He's doing solo albums that sell incredibly well. He's doing these Genesis albums and tours that go incredibly well. It's not like he was Jimmy Page just sitting home collecting money <laughs> because Led Zeppelin still sells and is still playing on the radio. He's mm-hmm. out there earning it, man. I mean, give him a little credit. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're talking about Miami Vice on that one uh, episode, like he was the featured, it wasn't, yeah. he wasn't on for two seconds. Like, you know, Hey, you know, there's that guy. And then he walks off. I mean, he was the main character of that episode. And then I fill the shill, man. Yeah. And he right. had a song, he had a song rat race on yeah. it. You know, life is a rat race, chasing easy money. It also had emo Phillips, the weirdo comedian on there. <laughs> is the guy they duped on the show so Stan wouldn't win. So, yeah. But, you know, look, this this is just an interesting inflection point in the history of Genesis, especially as this huge pop band, because from 78 to 82, they were gaining momentum, right? And every album did a little bit better. Face Value comes out in 81. It pops Phil Collins up. Hello, I Must Be Going comes up. It pops him up more. But then this is the inflection point where Genesis is doing well. They're still the big band. But then... When No Jacket Require comes out, now it's like Phil doesn't even have to do Genesis anymore. It's better to take 100% 
of Phil Collins than a third of mm-hmm. Genesis. And it might even be better to do a third of Phil Collins than a third of Genesis, <laughs> to be honest with you. But Invisible Touch is huge. I mean, it's just this huge run, and it's it's kind of part of this Phil Collins ubiquity that a lot of people eventually got very tired of. Right, and, and that does stink because, you know, he was so successful that people got sick of him. Okay, well, you know, that sounds like sour grapes. But when you think about it, you know, he was a guy who they picked up to be the drummer of this band in what, 1970? 70, I think. Yeah, 70 or 71, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he's playing the drums. The guy, the guy, your main guy decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. You recruit him to do the singing. And then from then on, it becomes even bigger. There aren't really many bands that have ever done that before. It made this pretty radical change from this prog all-stars to mainstream success, over-the-top, 100 million sales. I don't think that you can really discount that. I, I totally agree. And it's probably part of why Tony is still a little bent out of shape about it, because he was a founder of the band with Pete and Mike and you know went to Charterhouse together, you know, like mates since they're teenagers. They started... They bring this guy in and he's the drummer. Yes, he can help write the songs and he is a fine singer. He can do some backup. But then once he's out front, it's kind of like this guy I brought in is now bigger than I am in my band. Yeah, right. And, 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 that's, and then, that's weird. Yeah. And then, and then you know, you do these you do these tours and are they showing up to just see Phil Collins? Like if that like if Genesis had swapped out the other two guys, would anybody really have known in the mainstream ticket buying populace in 1983 probably not probably not so people have divided opinion on genesis 1983 self-titled album genesis with the big hits that's all mama home by the sea a good album a popular album and was this really the full-on death knell here of the end of the Prague Genesis. I know you put Home by the Sea and Second Home by the Sea together. It's one big long song. It's a sweet. I get it. But for all the Prague head Genesis fans from the 70s, were they already like, this is no longer my band? Did it start in 1978 with and then there were three and just gradually got to this point? Or was this one like, okay, now they've really changed. They're not the same band and I'm not going to support them which probably didn't bother the guys that much because now they've got millions more supporting them around the world. So you trade one set of loyal fans for a set of, well, maybe not so loyal, but a big, big crowd. I don't know. But having Phil Collins sing and help write these songs was huge for them, and it was huge for his solo time as well. I mean, the, this run in 1980 to 1986, 87, 88 for Phil was unbelievable. Yes, a lot of people think he's cheesy now in retrospect. And I think the industry is to blame. Phil probably is a bit to blame for never saying no. But at any rate, I think you have to respect the guy. There's some great songs on here. Maybe they, a lot of them do fall into that adult contemporary, not cool, hard rock like we usually talk about on this show. But growing up in the 80s, you couldn't get away from this stuff. And this album, the 1983 Genesis album, to me is very interesting because it's a very precise point in the trajectory of both Phil Collins and Genesis. And it turns 40 and we wanted to share our thoughts with you here on the show. So as usual, we want to know, folks, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? And I know I screwed up some of Phil Collins' solo albums when I was talking about them. I'm sorry about that. We'd like to shout out to Marilyn Martin, who Phil Collins sang Separate Lives with from the White Knight soundtrack. But you got to let us know. You got to let us know when we screw up. And sometimes Jackson knows what I'm talking about, even when I'm saying the wrong thing. And he doesn't stop me because he gets it. 
but we know sometimes it doesn't always translate to you guys. So call us on our shit, guys. It's UglyAmericanWerewolf at gmail.com, or you can tweet us, DM us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. You let us know what we screwed up, but you can also let us know the bands, the albums, the concerts, the DVDs, the books, the rock properties that you want to hear us talk about. And make sure that you all go out and visit RareVinyl.com wherever you are, you record collectors, and they've got a lot of Genesis stuff from over the years. Go to the site, use the one-time code UGLY, save yourself 10%. They ship all around the world. Thank you to Pantheon Pods for helping us put this together. And thank you for listening. It really means the world to us. I know we do a lot of diverse kind of stuff on here, and we appreciate you taking the journey with us. So please download and subscribe. And if you're thinking about it, guys, go ahead and give us a positive review wherever you download subscribe. It's huge for us. It helps us grow the show, find more rock and rollers like you. And if you let us know about it, We'll probably read it on the show. Now, in the near future, we've got some more fun, cool stuff lined up for you. And, of course, we have some big records celebrating big anniversaries that we're going to want to talk about. No spoilers. You're just going to have to tune in next time. But until next time, to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.